What Should I Think About is a podcast with me, Celine, and my dad, Stephen. We talk about burning issues in media, politics, and science. Hello, and welcome to the What Should I Think About podcast. I'm Celine. And I'm Stephen. Today we're going to talk about social Darwinism. Yeah. So what is it, Celine? First thing I read was about how it's used by politics and stuff. So I'll just kind of tell you what that is and we can jump off from there. This is from like an encyclopedia online, Britannica. Yeah. Um, I'll read that and then we'll jump from there. Okay. So um, the theory was used to support laissez-faire capitalism and political conservatism. Class stratification was justified on the basis of natural inequalities among individuals for the control of property was said to be correlate of superior and inherent moral attributes such as industriousness, temperance and frugality. Attempts to reform society and state intervention by other means would therefore interfere with the natural processes. Unrestricted competition and defence of status quo were accord with biological selection. Right, so can you explain that? (laughs) So basically it's saying that things like social welfare in England, what we call benefits and so on, like doing things to create equality or equity would be bad because that is interfering with the natural way that people are we get the best people to have the best kids and so on and so on and so on it's better to just let the weak weed out it's very aggressive when you say it in those terms because it's using all those lovely words that make it sound like oh it's hard to understand but yeah basically it's the weak must be left because they're unfit and the and the strong will prevail on their own right yeah so it's kind of like the 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 strong will survive and Mm -hmm. uh, the weak will not and that's kind of good for society because it means that we're left with the best people essentially so it's uh Mm -hmm. it's that ultimate meritocracy i suppose isn't it yeah that it's literally um you get what you work for kind of thing and if you're poor it's because you are not a good person it's not because of circumstances or things out of your control being poor and rich is basically as as part of your being and you're good and bad based on that yeah so if you think about characteristics like hard work intelligence um innovation these sorts of of ideas if you think about them as being innate qualities then you want more of that Therefore, you don't want to create a society that inhibits the the weeding out of people that are not strong and innovative and hardworking and intelligent. So yeah. the the philosophy is is kind of very brutal in the respect that, yeah, we want the best people. We want to weed out the, those that are not as good, and uh, and that's an ever increasing march to superiority, I suppose, and, and to the development of the human race. We like to think that we're away from all of that because obviously social Darwinism is now attached to eugenics and people immediately know who was big on that yeah um so you know we like to think that we don't think in these terms or that we've you know quite quite evolved as a society Mm -hmm. to not think this way but I do think you know that that is still massively part of the general thought of 
at, at least you know within english politics and 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 people will say stuff like you know it's about working hard and mm. you know this idea of the lazy poor i don't think the idea of the lazy poor is gone this kind of like stigma around the dole being for people that don't work and are lazy um i think is still there if you think about the language around um capitalism like obviously competition so competition is a good thing because it means that uh, the strongest the fittest companies will survive if there's a lot of competition so competition breeds innovation which means that um, the companies that adapt better to their new environments will survive whereas the companies the businesses that don't adapt to the new environments to the changing environments will not survive so this is a philosophy that is still very much in play and whether it's um true in inverted commas or not is a is a different question really um they're seeing it sounds quite neutral doesn't it if you think about capitalism in relation to businesses so let's say you know you think about uh toys r us that's that's always my go-to example (laughs) toys r us is the example so when i was growing up we had toy shops little toy shops in the town that i grew up in peterborough um robertson's was one of them fairways was another one we had like lovely little toy shops you could go and look at your toys and play with them a little bit and then you'd buy your toy and you'd take it home and then um what happened was for various reasons the environment changed the commercial environment changed and town was now no longer the place to set up your shops because it was more expensive people had to drive in and park and parking was expensive and everything so these out of town centers were were set up so toys r us was a warehouse essentially of toys but they didn't set it up in town they set it up just outside town with a big free car park you could drive to this lovely place and you had all these toys and it was really exciting but of course it meant that the little toy shops died so that was an example of the environment changing and those toy shops not being able to adapt or not adapting to the new environment so you can think about it very much in those evolutionary terms of survival of the fittest if you like which business was fitter in order to survive its current environment well toys r us was the the business that was much more um aligned with the environment the commercial environment the robertsons and the fairways of this world just um just died because they didn't have the enough customers so that was a good example of i mean it's not social although it kind of is because although we're not talking about people here people but it is based on their buying habits it is exactly so the business that that survived was was the toys r us now fast forward 20 years and toys r us are gone and that's because another change has occurred and that is the online world so you know people generally are not interested in going to a shop now to buy toys they'll go online they'll go to amazon and buy the toys they want it'll get it gets delivered to their door and that's it so the business model again has changed the environment has changed and this time toys are at the mercy of that so at one point they were the they were the new kid in town and now now they're not anymore and they're gone um so that's a good example of of in the business world how this survival of the fittest kind of makes sense there's a logic to it isn't there Mm. so this is i think you know that you have to um you have to think about that in terms of what we're actually seeing and yeah so that and that that happens for lots and lots of businesses 
you know, my business in training and development has had to move mainly online now. So I do most of my work as online courses. Whereas going back 20 years again, no, it was all about visiting a site and, and so on. So, yeah, you have to adapt, you have to change. And those that don't adapt and change will die out. Mm. And so that is, yes, that is a, a kind of evolutionary concept. Yeah, I suppose it's it's when it gets into it's when it gets into people that it gets quite sticky because I think even even in businesses though because it's like people are employed in businesses That's right. do we you know do we not think that there should be you know things in place to encourage that I mean like our government talks about I'm not saying how good they are but they talk about small business all the time and being an important part of the economy and that we need to support mm. small business what does that mean um you know are we if, if it's all about social Darwinism and just let be what will be, then we shouldn't, you know, support either way. It will just be people who go where they buy and that will be it. And know. that's that's what we have, isn't it? We have a laissez-faire mm-hmm. sort of approach in the main yeah. to yeah. the economy. And that was very much, um, you know, going back to in the UK, Maggie Thatcher and her approach yeah. was to, yeah, you know, if, if there's not enough market for coal let it die if there's not enough market for uh yeah for toy shops then they'll go and something better will come in but the question is i suppose in terms of capitalism whether whether actually we should be structuring society like that you know is what is the i think that is the reality of what is happening now and what has happened over the last Mm -hmm. 50 to 100 years but the question is is that the best way to structure society so um you know you if you're a Marxist, you would probably argue no. Um, uh, but but from a what's happening now perspective, we are structuring, we have structured society um, along those lines, which basically assumes that that's going to increase, uh, make things better. So if you look at history over the last 50 years, have things got better? Um, our products are better than they were. You know, you only need to think about motor cars and things like that, the way that they uh, they are now compared to what they were 50 years ago. They are definitely better. We have mm-hmm. technology. You know, I'm, I'm talking to you now via a web video conferencing system that everybody has. It's just just a, an iPhone, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, th- these, are, these are fantastic innovations that are the result of this type of approach. Now, whether that's the best for us as human beings... You know, socially is another question, but we certainly have advanced. Yeah. No, definitely. So I think it, the the question for me is it, it is around money and evolution. I mean, you could write an entire massive, you could write a book on that, couldn't you? Yeah. Like, you know, how money and evolution plays. You know, if you're applying this social Darwinism, capitalist kind of thing, um, yeah, life is a lot better for a lot of people. But then also the people with less money don't have access to you know these phones or like at the moment you know with the pandemic and kids that don't have lots of money or they're all sharing one phone because there was lots of articles on that and pieces wasn't they yeah um, about that side of things or um you know like where does that leave people or even in america in the states with health if you think about it down to that degree you know the people that can afford health care get to live literally and the people that can't don't um that's like the ultimate version i suppose which was you know if you go back to before we had all of the amazing medicine we do um you know being like should we let people that have this is how bad it was i guess i'm not saying this is right but that they were saying you know should people with 
um, diseases be allowed to have kids that might have those diseases and keep that in in the human race or should they not and i guess instead of having that like uh, we've said as a society that's bad and we don't agree with that but then we have things like in the american medical system where that's kind of playing out in a sense because if you don't have money and you are ill then i you wouldn't get that support and you wouldn't be able to do you see what i mean i do yeah so we're we're in a way creating a life and death struggle if we if we make healthcare related to our uh, social class which is in turn related to other demographics and so yeah you, you you're kind of you're kind of back to that that mm-hmm. uh, actual real situation where if you happen to be and even in this country you know if you happen to live in a certain part of the country and are of a certain ethnic grouping then you are likely to die earlier than someone else you know so that's quite shocking really um but again it's following a natural law but that natural law doesn't necessarily mean that that's something we should aspire to so yeah it's quite an intro i mean it depends how you tell the story doesn't it so if you listen to someone Mm -hmm. like stephen pinker you know he he tells a quite an interesting story of and i generally have a lot of sympathy for the position which is the world is better now than it's ever been you know, even the poor have access to uh, much higher levels of medical attention. And, you know, people don't die at their, their age of 50 like they used to do um, generally. I mean, obviously some people do, but um, life expectancy is much greater for everybody across the board. Yeah. So in, in one respect, you can see that you can tell a story of things improving over the last hundred years and largely as a result of the Industrial Revolution and... Um, increases in scientific knowledge and healthcare and um, and all of the things that come along with industrialization but you can also tell that story in quite a different way um, by talking about how in the early days of industrialization it actually made life a lot worse for people so you know people living in cities in smog ridden cities like london working in absolutely sweatshop conditions um hideous constantly people getting hurt in the workplace yeah absolutely you know um sexual abuse rife uh prostitution women constantly being forced into having to to be prostitutes in these places that was one of their only ways of escaping perhaps an abusive relationship children being sent up chimneys you know all these Mm. all these things were a result of this philosophy Um, And actually what's happened is we've reeled back from this uber survival of the fittest position. And actually what we're seeing now is a result of social justice movements like the movements to stop slavery and to create equal rights for women and to make it okay to be gay and so on. So, yeah, I think I think it's just it's so interesting how you can tell that story in so many different ways. Um, and one that is unadulterated capitalism is just a misunderstanding of what's actually happened, in my view, in history. Mm-hmm. Because um, actually we have interfered with the this this very mechanistic um, cold way of looking at the world, saying, well, the fittest will survive and that's the best for us. We have, we have actually changed that because we have the National Health Service in the UK. We have social programmes everywhere in the world and that's um, that's what's made it better. Um, so yeah, it depends how you want to kind of tell that story. I think. 
definitely. I mean, we've talked quite a lot about yeah. about business, um, but obviously that it's more it's more telling when we talk about individuals. Um, mm-hmm. So you've already mentioned a little bit about people who are maybe considered by society not to be as fit as others let's say Mm. um, and the morals and the ethical problems of of saying well these people don't deserve to survive or it's not in our best interest to allow them to um, to live Mm. but it, it kind of ties in with the story I think of social Darwinism and and in in my research I I was quite surprised I suppose at the at the story that I believed was true and the story that I found when I did the research. I, I don't mm. know, when we had a little discussion up front, you, you gave me a story about how social Darwinism came about. Do you want to tell me that story and then I'll I'll talk about what I found? Yeah, so basically when I was doing my reading, I was looking, I basically just t- typed in Google, what is social Darwinism? I just started from the very Always the beginning. a good place to start, yeah. Yeah, um, and so that immediately took me off to um, the American History, uh, the American Museum of History, and just giving me a very, very brief, you know, description saying that basically Darwin's theory of evolution is often misused and it's purely a scientific theory that is being used for unscientific purposes, is as described on the website. Yeah. Um, and it says one such distortion and misuse is the loose collection of ideologies grouped under social Darwinism. So that it's straight away, a, a group of ideologies. Um, and it's mo- mostly based on notions of competition, natural selection, um, about powerful in society and superiority, but also the opposing ideologies of Marxism that came in. So um, there was also this conversation of marxism in relation to social darwinism and and how it saw that and it was kind of basically they marx and darwin were around at the same time um, which even though i kind of you're aware of when they were both around you don't necessarily think of them talking to each other but of course they would because they're big thinkers at the time but um and they um did speak and they did discuss each other's work with different people at the time um, though I think Marx was more interested in Darwin than Darwin in Marx, but um, um, Marx was taking his theories and applying them to his ideas of production and power in that sort of sense, and and Darwin was kind of not so horribly against it, but not like yeah that's true or whatever, um, you know. So these are all these different groups that were kind of jumping on to what was going on at the time and being like this is how it applies to my ideology. Right. Yeah, I think um, I think that's the that's the bit I'd like to frame. So, mm-hmm. so the way you described um, social Darwinism there is that is certainly the way that I I assumed, and I guess I must have yeah. assumed that from from what I've read about it. My my understanding of it was, yeah, Darwin comes up with this um, fantastic theory that matches the facts around, uh, like we discussed last week, mutation and then natural selection, and it's that 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 it's a purely scientific uh, theory like, you, like you've like you read there. And then what happens is these other baddies, so he's a goodie, and these other baddies take that and they, they pervert it in some yeah. way and turn it into this horrible political or um, social uh, perversion of his pure scientific theory and and they apply it to the social world and that's a that's a mis 
use of what is actually a biological system, if you like, or a biological theory, and it's being applied now to something that is not appropriate to apply it to. So that was my nice kind of understood way that social Darwinism came about. And that, so his name was taken in vain, essentially. Um, mm. But but the more I, I did research about this, the more I found that it isn't really as simple as that, because um, what now gets called social Darwinism was was around actually before Darwin (laughs) so it kind of gets labeled as that but this idea of survival of the fittest and this idea of the strongest surviving the best surviving and actually that's how we should structure society so that we facilitate that that was around before Origin of the Species which is Darwin's book where he reveals um, his theory of evolution so we we can't really say that that Darwin came first with this this scientific theory and then it was perverted. Actually, it was around already. Now, it may be that um, others sort of adopted it, jumped onto this. Oh, this is great because this supports our ideas. Um, so you could argue that. Um, but Darwin himself isn't doesn't get off scot-free, really, in terms of his um, thinking around this, this whole idea of for instance, survival of the fittest. Yeah, so the, the guy that came up with the phrase of survival of the fittest is actually Herbert Spencer. And that phrase is very much around the idea that the strongest survive. Darwin adopts that phrase and actually uses it in his work. Um, I think it was in his second book, The, the Descent of Man, that he used it. But you know, so so for me, survival of the fittest simply means, as we talked about this last week, survival of the fittest doesn't mean the strongest. It means the most appropriate, if you like, for the environment in which they live. So the fittest doesn't mean the one that is the strongest or most physically fit or, or, or most powerful. It just means the, that in that particular environment, it happens to favour an animal with a particular mutation that has been that has expressed itself in in a particular environment or in an individual and that then it passes it on to its next generation um but i think there's some there's some doubt there's some debate there whether that phrase survival of the fittest can really just just mean that and whether it actually did have this other slightly less um tasteful element to it really yeah definitely i think when you do history you're encouraged constantly to if you have a source you have to say what what's the date is the source what was happening during that date who was also prevalent what is the bias of that person why would they you know like why would they think that um you know because darwin's theory i guess is just considered like just pure science we forget that he's also a human being with his own you know time that he grew in his own biases his own reasons for coming up with that it's not he's not necessarily just like a pure like some sort of ethereal pure being that came down with the theory of evolution, you know, and was like, well, I that's have right. the answers. <laughs> that's right. And I, I re- the first article I read actually was, because I tried to do some um, looking at some papers 
sociology papers. And unfortunately, since I've left uh, my university, it's hard to get access to these papers. This is the subject of another podcast because it is infuriating how, you know, everybody says how important it is to have scientific evidence for things. And then we put walls around all the research so that nobody can read no, them. No, it is awful, isn't it? Um, anyway, so I have found a uh, an accessible paper which was written by a historian called Hiram Gayton or Caton, sorry, um, an Australian uh, historian. Um, and he he writes a paper, it was actually at the time of the bicentennial anniversary of Darwin. Was it his birth? Uh, yes, his birth. He's quite scathing about the story that this these celebrations have created. So um, he looks at the exhibition that was, that was put on for Darwin. And again, this story is, uh, as I described earlier, and, and he says this is just not, the case and in fact Darwin himself is very clear about the ideas that he drew on so it wasn't as though he went on this voyage on the beagle and noticed all these animals and went uh, you know hi carumba um, or eureka or whatever and said this is the app now I understand it this was not what happened you the- didn't just watch birds for a while <laughs> and understand no actually what happened was there was this idea around evolution well before Darwin's uh, book came out mm. so there were lots of ideas around evolution like Lamarck and um, others that that Wallace is known to have developed around the same time but there was lots of others that talked about evolution so it was already in the zeitgeist so this this idea of survival of the fittest may well have developed from this general zeitgeist of evolutionary theory um before darwin even came along really yeah so it's, it's, it's not yeah. yeah it's very complicated and, and i think this really reflects you know if, if you were to look back what what's going on now in our society if you think about the social world we have and ideas around you know if you talk about some of the really uh, divisive ideas like Trumpism versus social justice versus communism versus democracy, all these ideas. And if you were to try and uh, make sense of all of that and create a, a logical story a hundred years later, can you imagine how difficult that would be? You know, what came first? What came out of what? And yeah. how, it's almost impossible to unpick that even now let alone 100 years later. And I think that's what we're trying to do when we try to understand how social Darwinism came about. So we tell this simplistic story of a man that, that discovers something that then gets perverted by all these bad people who just want to, uh, you know, these Nazis, essentially. Um, but it is not as simple as that. Darwin absolutely came from a world that assumed um, that, you know, a certain sector of society was best placed to make all the decisions and that the best of those should be the ones that survived and thrived and others would, whilst Darwin certainly wasn't um, a cruel man, you know, he was he was anti-slavery as we understand it, he, he still didn't have a, we wouldn't describe him as a, a social justice um, no, advocate he wasn't in encouraging he wasn't encouraging people to no. um either way i think that's an important thing to mention is he was a religious man himself but he didn't mention it in his book he wasn't like and this is why god is real or this is why it was um i don't think anyway i would have to i've not read the whole thing yeah it was like or someone said that he wasn't being overt in that sense because i, I don't know if it's just he wanted to 
keep his readership. Yeah, I think uh, again, I think the the story that we get is that he. I mean, he was he he initially did his uh, doctorate in theology, as far as I understand it. He was the son of a clergyman, so he was very steeped Mm -hmm. in the the uh, church tradition. Um, But I don't. I don't think anybody knows whether he died believing in God or not. Um, yeah. I think in one of his books he talks about God breathing into a few forms. Um, mm. So I think there was a bit of room there for people to interpret that actually God got it started and then this thing called evolution but kept it vague enough. Exactly. I yeah. So and I think that it's up to people to decide if he was put, why his yeah. intentions were to keep it vague, but yeah. it wasn't over. This is this way and this is that way he wasn't a um a raging atheist you know so if you talk about someone like thomas huxley uh mm. writer of um brave new world um you know he was he was very aggressive in his stance on atheism and trying to promote darwinism um, but darwin himself wasn't that sort of man basically he was he was much more gentle much more sort of uh, he didn't want to make too many waves so I think that the general feel, the belief is, historical belief is that he was just not that radical a person to, and in fact he no. he, he sat on his book for a while um, because he didn't really want to create such a um, so many waves. But yeah, I think he was a lot more like people think he was very retrospectively. People look back and think he must have been very radical to come out with that yeah. at that time. But I don't think he was in the sense that, like you said, with the keeping it a bit vague in certain things with the with the religious aspect and also um you know like you said we don't think he we think he was against slavery but i mean people were using it in terms of saying and this is why the white people are good you know because we've got these heads that are these shapes and he wasn't saying that at all but you know there was these you know weird things at the time about well he wasn't he wasn't saying it directly but darwin's half cousin was mm-hmm. a gentleman called francis galton who was an absolute rampant eugenicist. So, you know, and as far as we know, they didn't have a massive falling out, you know. Mm. So this, these ideas around, um, uh, Galton incidentally also was one of the first ones to develop intelligence tests. So what Mm. we now know as of IQ tests, you know, where you do all these, sit all these tests, he was one of the ones who kind of invented that. So again, you know, when people talk about institutionalized racism, you can see where they get it from. <laughs> yeah, you know, because yeah. yes, the person that's coming up with the evolution theory of life had relatives and people around him like that, it's and also all, the society was like yeah, that. Yeah, it grew from this society. So the idea that evolution never had any, or the theory of evolution never had any racist or racialistic influence in it, I think is just is to to create a bit of a you know, look look at it through rose-coloured spectacles, really. Mm. And mm. I think, so why is that? Is that important? Is it not important? Well, I think, for me, there's two things that I would like to say about that. Um, one is this this phrase. One of them is, the, is called the mythology of prolepsis. Have you heard of that? I have not heard of that. I don't know at all what it means. No, so I hadn't heard of that until I looked it up. Um, but the mythology of prolepsis is something that I guy called Quentin Skinner came up with and what he says is that it's wrong to look at an individual's work and then judge it on the basis of what other people do with it right so if you think about 
the ideas of um, evolution and even survival of the fittest, I suppose. If you think about that and then judge it on the basis of, of the Nazis and eugenics who took this to the conclusion where they would kill people who weren't, in their view, perfect or, you know, the best in society, then you obviously have to judge it poorly, don't you? You have to say that this is a bad thing. So you end up accusing Darwin and Herbert Spencer. You you end up accusing Darwin and Herbert Spencer and others like that, you know, as being terribly wicked because from that came ideas around Nazis and concentration camps for people who were disabled um, or of races that weren't considered to be as fit as other races. You know, so terrible, terrible things came from it. Um, But it's a mistake to look at the outcomes of of an individual's ideas. So that's quite, I think that's quite a provocative idea. So do, do we... And in some respects, it less, lets us off the hook. It lets scientists off the hook by saying, well, we can't we can't know what's going to happen with it. You know, it has a life of its own after it's gone. Can we blame uh, the, the inventors of nuclear fission for the atom bomb, for instance? You know, and this is one of the big the big problems of mankind, really. Can we can we blame people who I mean, you know, Darwin basically helped find us the truth about how we developed and how human beings are here. Now there's lots and lots of evidence of it. At the time, there wasn't so much evidence of it. So he came up with a theory that has later been proven. So it's done a lot of good. We now have a greater understanding of the world. But without him, maybe we wouldn't have had Nazism. Yeah. I suppose what I have to think is... and, and I don't know, do I have to think that? That makes me sad. What I think immediately is like I think I think the reason we had Nazism personally is not because of evolution. It's because of a you know if someone with the knowledge of now went back in time and was like um, to Darwin, don't don't put your book out because this will happen. Um, you could stop that potentially, but like I, I think even without his book and without that theory, that still would have happened based on the fact that there was a, there was a series of lots of other political things that led to the second world war in the sense of like you know we could go into the the details of it but you know like germany was in a very like crippled place post world war one and there was someone that came in and was like i'll give you what you want and i'll make it good and we've seen that happen with different leaders in different places like Mussolini, and we've seen it with trump saying like make america great again i don't think it's because of a particular that was just something to add to the fodder i suppose another another weapon in the arsenal of someone that was unfortunately clever enough to use it but i imagine if there wasn't that they'd find something else to put in and another reason um yeah that's right it's a sort of chicken and egg sort of situation isn't it really yeah. um yeah that's a it's a very good point it's a very good point um mm. there's a there's a tv program that we we need to do a review once you've watched it it's a long goal haul mm. but it's called the man in the high castle it's a, a an amazon prime uh series and it's the old, you know, what what would happen? What if the Nazis won the war? Um, I think we may have mentioned it already, but um, it's such an interesting question. It, it's an original Philip K. Dick story, um, which obviously this series really just runs with it. But, you know, yeah, that's that's kind of one of the questions, you know. Obviously, they, they take on these ideas, so much so that 
one of the main characters children is revealed to have a genetic illness and basically that means that they have to tell the state and the state have to come and take this child away and kill them basically mm. um and you know that's the way that it's done and that's because of this idea around you know you don't want to keep these errors if you like in the human population so that they reproduce so it's very much around this idea so yeah but i think you're right um people who are um who want to dominate other people will find and maybe this is the lesson from this is that people who want to dominate other people will find a philosophy that fits with that whether it's true or not yeah. Um, and you only need to look at, I suppose, Trumpism and the way that certain people have grabbed hold of anti-Semitic and conspiracy theory and those sorts of ideas, even um, evangelical ideas around God and uh, right and wrong and um, adapted them to sit or to to do work for them that's perhaps a way to describe it as a way of doing work to promote the ideas that that fit with their own personal philosophy what they want and it's Mm. often about people um, who are either in power wanting to maintain power or people who don't have power wanting that power Um, Mm. and that seems to be the way that that these ideas are used you could say twisted or you could just say used to promote a certain way of thinking that that some people within society have a have a reason to want. Yeah, because I think on the face of it, you could just be like, "Oh, that's just some that that's just some knowledge," um, but it does get used as political fodder. But I don't think I don't necessarily want to live in a world where you've all, you, you, anything could be used for bad so what what where, where do you stop and what do you do um i mean what are the intentions of those people i suppose if you are being hired by a military group to do some of your science research you probably should ask yourself why are they hiring you what might your research be used for are you happy for your research to be used that way um but if you are just a researcher working you know for a university and you're you know discovering something do you then need to do an analysis like a risk assessment <laughs> uh, i guess of your research what is the risk of your research i don't know um what risk does it impose on society in the world do, do we want that to be part of how science is done um i just think it's like yeah i guess because science is obviously paid for people pay for research so i guess my main thing would just be to consider who's paying for your research and how might it be used um in that sense um I just said military because that's an immediate like you kind of know what that would be used for but you know like someone I know said that they signed a thing that said oh no it definitely won't be used for um anything like that would hurt anybody um but I I guess just ask those questions but by bar that I don't know if I have a strong opinion or knowledge on what's the right thing to do it's it's very difficult isn't it um and once it's out there it's out there isn't it you can't uninvent something yeah. you can't no. so inventions are one thing like the atom bomb um for instance mm. but there's also yeah ideas like um like evolution like intelligence itself you know the idea of intelligence what actually is mm. that so there's a big discussion at the moment around or well, has been for the last few years 
around can you actually measure intelligence so we had this idea of the IQ test and the IQ test um, is statistically the most accurate way to predict people's um, success again in inverted commas it's a Podcasting is a bit of a problem where you can't actually show that, can you? I know. Need <laughs> um, little like <laughs> yeah, but um, success in terms of if you define it in terms of wealth, um, if you deter, if you talk about it in terms of career uh, up the ladder, if you like, or health and so on, all of these are predicted by IQ or by intelligence in various different ways you want to measure it. So um, going for jobs. When employers use intelligence tests, they tend to get people who are more likely to stay at the company for longer and to do a better job, however that's defined. Yeah. Um, so so intelligence, as, it, as we measure it, is a predictor. But the question is, is it a predictor of, or is it a description of intelligence, or is it just a description of the people that best fit this society that we've skewed to accept the pieces that are shaped that way exactly because it's like that only works for a particular group of people like i mean that works for neurotypical people but you know there are neuro there is neurodiversity um those people some people some people on that would high really really score highly because they just work that way and they're like yeah that makes a lot of sense to me and then you know i don't know do we want a world where that that's part of our everyday life as well and everybody's fitting this one peg yeah I don't know. well it's it's interesting i mean that the film gattaca is probably worth watching have you seen that no so oh, definitely worth watching that it's um i think it's one of the most interesting films around um genetics and the idea that you can um i suppose take this idea to its next degree which is saying that we can now manipulate the genes of people. So this is set yeah. in the future, um, although it's quite an old film, so it's probably around uh, now. Although it's kind, of, it's kind of a weird film. It's got lots of things about it that you think, well, that doesn't quite make sense. Um, Ethan Hawke and... Um, oh, Crumbs, what's his name? Anyway, um, they they play these really interesting characters, but this is a world where, essentially, if you... If you, if you're, it's very much 1984 meets um, Brave New World. But if your genetic makeup doesn't match this particular ideal, then then you'll get put into menial jobs. And if your genetic makeup is such, you'll get put into the best jobs. And also, there's the ability to change people's genetic makeup um, at birth, or just obviously part of the 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 process of giving birth or or procreating and so if you pay your money you can you can get this part Found of this money again. yeah exactly um anyway so this one particular character doesn't want to play by those rules so it's really about his his story but it's it's challenging this idea of actually can you do that and is it as simple as that anyway the point i was making was this this question about intelligence so even if we could measure intelligence accurately, should we? And what do we mean by that? And like, is, is that yeah? Is that a world we'd want to to create? Yeah. yeah. I think if we ask the question, why are we asking? <laughs> but in a way, science science 
there's a there's a philo- philosophy of science that says yeah. you shouldn't really have to answer that question because mm. knowledge is good for its own merit. This is what people say to you know as um, trying to go to Mars, for instance. Well, why, why do what's the point? Why do we want to do that? No, of course, like discovery. I, I guess I just it, I mean in regards to like if we wanted to bring that into wider society, like if every every person had to have an IQ test and they all like to get a job, you had to and you had to see what your aptitude was, like instead of interviews. I mean. I guess someone might be like, no, that's better because it's just, it's just the math. Um, yeah, and it's also, there's an argument that says, you know, do you want people doing jobs that they're not capable of doing? Do you want the best people mm-hmm. to do the jobs that are they're cap- most capable of doing? Mm-hmm. Do you want the smartest people to be in charge? Do you want the smartest people to be able to make the decisions? Well, you know, it's logical, isn't it? It is, but I suppose we already have, I know our freedom is somewhat an illusion, but people like to think that they pick to do what they want to do and that if they wanted to, pursue xyz thing then they could pursue it i mean regardless of you know necessarily you don't always get to go where you want to go but you do have the opportunity to pursue stuff but if you're born and you do your test at whatever age that you're considered testable and then it's like and this is what you are good at and bad at and that is it and it we already complain about that with just picking as we call them in england our gcse's like the subjects you choose to study further we're already knocked about that because we're being funneled in at such a young age so I can't imagine, imagine the idea of that continuing is exhausting, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's it's, uh, it's coming back to this question whether we whether we want it or not, I suppose. Yeah. But it's very difficult yeah. to, um, to, to say to a scientist, this is an area that we don't want you to investigate. Yeah. You know, I mean, how can you do that? It's a bit off, that? isn't it? It, yeah. starts, well, it, goes, it leads to a slippery slope, mm. but basically, like, in terms of, I always think back to when I was studying medicine through time as it was called um and it was uh there was you know when the romans were um at peak they were like saying how um i think his name was galius he he a lot of what he said agreed with their doctrine and then it um, it also then happened to agree a lot with christianity so they just kept it and there's a lot of discussion about how medicine was halted by like a thousand years because yeah. it just kept being like no galius is right you don't need anything else um was it galen just galen, galen. yeah i'm combining vesalius and galen <laughs> that's what it was um vesalius <laughs> is the next boy in, the, in my little timeline um but yeah basically they were like no no galen that's good we'll just stick to that um and like don't research anything else you're not allowed to do biopsies you're not allowed to like look at bodies like he was like a grave robber and he was stealing bodies to look at and to study and like it wasn't allowed so you know you can see why we need to allow research and study because you don't know what you don't know until you start doing it yeah i think the reality is is that um everything is so uh science and politics and the social world is is just a great big mix of lots of ideas and it's very complicated it's a complex system actually i would say um and anybody that tries to control that is probably at a bit of a loss you know there's a mm-hmm. uh, there was a story i don't know if you saw it um where there's been some really good genetic material found of woolly mammoths or a woolly mm-hmm. mammoth and the question is you know should we try to clone a woolly mammoth i don't think we yet have the capability but or necessarily at have some it. point but we may so what do we do at that point you know do we do It'd be we really do cool it? it would be really cool wouldn't it but on the other hand mm. you know 
is that appropriate? Should we be doing that? But then you get to human cloning and all of that as well, don't you? So, yeah. Um, I suppose, yeah, I know. But I suppose that, that for me, comes from the whole, like, is it appropriate? Is, like, a bit, like, with God, isn't it? Like, what is our place in doing that? And I'm like, oh, it'd be really cool. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, you, before you knew what you had, you put it on a lunchbox. <laughs> Don't you remember what I'm talking about? Uh, are you talking about Jurassic, Jurassic Park? Jurassic Park, yeah. Yeah, I've not seen it very much, so I'm not as quotable on it. So, but I was like, it feels like that would be Just Jurassic because Park. you could do something doesn't mean you should. <laughs> no, but it would be really cool. It would be cool. Imagine going to a safari park looking at a woolly mammoth. Because woolly mammoths are different to a whole a whole dinosaur. Well, not as old, but yeah. Anyway, no, no, not that they're so old. Just that I imagine slightly more controllable. Yes, yeah, I guess, I guess so. Well, it depends what what dinosaur you. And that is when we discussed if we should if we should do Jurassic Park. <laughs> <laughs> we've definitely yeah. gone off piece now. Right, okay, let's. I think we've uh, done it. Let, I think, I think we probably have. Yeah, I've learned something anyway. I've learned something too. I think I'm a humanist, as you know, and one of the things that humanism uh, tries to do is, I suppose, try to put forward alternatives to religious things, like holidays, for Mm. instance. And there's a a day called Darwin Day, which just has been, and the Humanist Society tries to encourage us to celebrate Darwin Day. Um, And I've kind of not really done it. Now and again, I'll tweet something or retweet something to say, you know, Darwin Day. But... It always feels a little bit uncomfortable. And after reading this uh, stuff, um, it's not that I suddenly think Darwin was a bad guy. Um, just think it's more complicated. I just think it's actually not appropriate. And I don't see why we should need these sorts of iconic individuals when really who what happened was these were lots of ideas that were in the melting pot. And they, you know, through these process of discussion and so on, ideas became um, dominant and then we use science and evidence to prove or to support these ideas so should we be celebrating a human no i don't think we should we should celebrate the science that went along with it so i'm not going to be celebrating darwin day i don't think from now on sorry humanists (laughs) the end (laughs) thank you for listening yeah thanks for listening don't forget to subscribe tell your friends about yeah, what should I think rate about. us on iTunes yeah please do do a little review say how lovely we are <laughs> yeah. yeah good right bye nice alright bye. bye what should I think about is an evil sheep production 